Welcome back to the IPM on the Fly podcast, brought to you from the University of Georgia Extension IPM program, with funding from the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. Thanks for tuning in. We're your hosts, Emily and Michelle. Today, Michelle and I are talking with Dr. Ash Sayal, a blueberry entomologist at the University of Georgia, about a destructive fruit fly called the spotted wing Drosophila. Sayal and a multi-state team of researchers have been working to develop sustainable, practical solutions for farmers in both conventional and organic production systems to combat this troublesome fly. So welcome, Dr. Sayal. Thank you, Emily and Michelle, for inviting me to interview. Tell us about this fruit fly. Where is it from? And really, what does it matter? You know, this uh, Drosophila suzukii is a vinegar fly. It belongs to family Drosophilidae. There are about 1,500 members of this family, and there are only two that have ever been known to be pests, and this one is the worst one. And the reason this is worst is because the females have this very unique ovipositor that they used to puncture the skin of otherwise intact fruit to lay eggs inside the fruit. And larvae develop inside and cause lots of damage. So this is, it's a fruit fly, but it's different from other fruit flies because of this ability to puncture healthy fruit. That is correct. I need to interrupt here, because if you're struggling to remember what ovipositor is, it's simply a tube-like structure that a lot of insects have for laying eggs. And this particular fly has a saw-like ovipositor, so she's able to slash into healthy fruit. Okay, back to Ash. And that makes a lot of difference because lots of other fruit flies within this family they do not have that unique ovipositor, and they, that is why they wait until fruit is overripe or rotten in the field to actually oviposit and uh, then larvae develop inside that overripe or rotten fruit. But this uh, species has, it has this unique adaptation where it can actually lay eggs in the intact fruit. And what types of fruit does it prefer? It prefers as soon as uh, berries or fruit start to change color. That is when the window of susceptibility starts. So now? Basically for blueberries, it is almost now. As soon as berries start to change color, which in in Georgia happens around mid-April, that is when the susceptibility window will start on early varieties. And then it will obviously continue as more and more varieties ripen and the fruit ripe fruit is available on the blueberries so blueberries all fruit or specific types of fruit this uh, fly can infest more than 150 plant species that have fruit on them however the most economically important host crops that get a lot of damage are the small fruits including blueberries raspberries blackberries strawberries cherries also, and some other fruits, uh, they can also lay eggs in, in grapes as well in some cases. So we know they're in Georgia because you do all most of your research here in Georgia. Are they in other states? Are they 
in every state in the United States? Are they in other countries? Or is anybody not susceptible to these in the world? You know, that is a very good and interesting question. This fly is originally from Asia, in South Korea, Japan, and China. And that is where it was first known as cherry fruit fly back in early 1900s. And it stuck there, stayed there as a somewhat of an important pest, but not a key pest in that region for decades. It was first detected in Hawaii in 1980, and then, and then it spent several years there before it made uh, into the mainland U.S. in California when it was first detected uh, in California in 2008. And since then, it has seen explosive uh, spread across the country. Now it has been detected in uh, every state that has some small fruit production. And not only in the United States, but it has also been detected in almost every continent on the globe. If you are growing any of these fruits, and this is about the time, and you know the time of year that you need to start monitoring, what does someone do if they have detected fruit fly, this particular fruit fly? You know, since this is this extremely economically important pest, there's very low tolerance in the market for fresh fruit uh, that can be potentially infested. If Even if uh, you have one uh, fruit that has a maggot or larvae in it, that whole shipment can be rejected depending on the marketers and the, and the uh, companies that you work with. All right, I'm going to jump in again really quick because I found this idea that one maggot could get an entire shipment of berries rejected to be so shocking. So I followed up with Ash after the interview to see how often this really happens. And he explained that it's really quite rare. It happened much more often in the early years when the spotted wing Drosophila first came over, and producers just didn't know how economically important the fly would be. They didn't understand how critical early season monitoring was, and they just didn't have the tools at the time for managing the fly. So while it doesn't happen much any longer, when and if it does happen, all is not lost. Producers can still make value-added products like jams, juice, vinegar, so they have options. They just can't sell those berries as fresh fruit. All right, that's it. Back to the interview. So we have to be very smart in making decisions, starting from monitoring these flies to determine whether we have them at the farm, and if we do, what level of populations are we dealing with. The best way to do that is to put uh, simple traps. There are many trap options available. The very simple is just put apple cider vinegar in, in peanut jars if you have used peanut jars. Or you can use 32 ounce plastic containers and put maybe 150 mLs in each of those containers. On the top uh, you can put small holes about 3 16th of an inch to make sure that bigger insects don't get in, only smaller insects and flies get in. It'll be easier to monitor. However, uh, last year we did a study where we compared those wet traps with dry trap options and we found they are equally effective. Dry trap being like a sticky trap? Yes, now the dry trap is actually very convenient. They are red sticky cars with a commercially available lure. Those traps and lures can be just one trap can be effective for four to six weeks, basically entire blueberry harvest season, you just need to go back frequently at least once a week to see what you have. 
And even easier is the fact that on those traps you can monitor easily see males. Males have two dark spots on the outer margins of each wing. So one spot on each wing, so two dark spots which are easily visible with the naked eye and are distinct from other similar looking species. So if what I'm hearing is, because consumers just absolutely have decided they don't want to eat maggots in their fruit, correct? And that's what drives all this. So would it not be easier if we just learned to tolerate a little extra protein in our, our soft fruits? I mean, are, is it really that bad to eat a maggot here and there? Not at all. I actually enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> extra dose of protein. Well, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, Is the fruit sweeter? Naturally, when you have uh, uh, some activity within the fruit, it becomes softer quickly. And obviously, sugar content increases as the fruit softens. I mean, we watched in your lab today as they took some infected fruit and got the adorable little maggots, little, like little strings coming out of them. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I mean, there's a whole world going on in your blueberry you didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to think about that now when I put it on my oatmeal. Or you know, when you look at the fruit in the market, there's very, very low chance of finding. Uh, maggots in the fruit there's no way overall especially in our Georgia situation our populations are an order to two orders of magnitude lower mm-hmm. than regions up north when where flies can build up and actually uh, have more time to b- uh, build up populations before field season starts whereas we are at the very earlier end of the season where populations that coming out of winter have not had as many generations to turn over and build up populations. So I can see where the commercial growers have a system in place to try to address this but you know for the person that's got a few bushes in the backyard or in you know the back of their 10 acres they like to go gather from what can they do or should they be that concerned? You know at the smaller scale you know if you have a couple bushes in your backyard you don't need to worry about it uh, that much you can simply uh, purchase a small screening mesh cloth and just cover them when you have ripe fruit and another thing you can do and the the, I guess the most important is to harvest them as frequently as you can Mm -hmm. pick the bright as the berries ripen and they're ready pick them as frequently as you can and just eat them then you can eat them as (laughs) as you wish but just pick them what that will do is that will leave less attractive fruit for flies on the bushes because they have should you refrigerate them and then once you harvest them then you can refrigerate them yes just to uh, prolong the use period that you can consume uh, for a longer time period okay good so just the backyard gardener doesn't have to cut open every blueberry to see what's in it before they you don't need to that's good to know and there's this this group that you work with it's a multi-state team and i know you all have a website it's the sustainable SWD management project and and there's a a website dedicated completely to this pest and all of the information that is coming out of your research and I I pulled up one screen from a presentation that you guys just recently did of cultural and post-harvest controls and there's actually it looks like there's several options for and I'm guessing this would be more of like your organic smaller scale growers can you talk a little bit about 
other things that growers can do that really need to make a profit from their production? Right. There are a number of things that can be done beyond just spraying with insecticides. And that, again, they may be more practical at smaller scale, but they are just as effective or even more effective in some cases. First thing you can do is keep the small orchard or, or bushes, a bush a area that where you have bushes clean from any rotten or overripe fruit that may be on the ground. What that will do is that will make that habitat, that place, environment where bushes are, or fruit is on the bushes, less attractive, relatively less attractive for flies. That's one thing you can do, and that have, we have data to show that that significantly reduced the risk of uh, uh, fruit infestation in raspberries, blueberries, and, uh, and other uh, susceptible fruits. Other thing you can do is if you, are, you know, most of the commercial uh, growers, they prune the uh, plants at least once a year. So when you, do, when you are doing pruning, you, if you can do a little bit heavier pruning, just to take more of the branches out when you do pruning, what that will do the following season is that it will have more open area for more light to come into the area of the bush, into the canopy of the bush where there is a, a more fruit and where flies are more likely to infest the fruit. That will more light will increase temperature a little bit and d decrease humidity a little bit. And both of those factors combined will actually reduce the suitability of the environment for flies to be in that canopy area. Now this particular strategy works better for blueberries as compared to other fruits because other fruits like raspberries and uh, blackberries, they can build up canopy so fast that it would not make uh, much difference in the end. Another thing you can do is to put some covers on the ground. What that does is, you know, when if you have a, a flies on the in, in the fruit, larvae feeding inside, they mature, they come out of the berries and drop down on the ground to pupate in the soil. If you have some covering like mylar or weed fabric or any kind of covering that will prevent those, that maturing larvae or ready to pupate larvae to get into the ground, it will in fact get toasted and not pup successfully pupate. You will break the cycle of light right there. All right, did you catch that? Ash is talking about when larvae have finished feeding inside the berries, they're ready to pupate. And I'll use this opportunity to give a very quick refresher on the four-stage life cycle of an insect. Egg, larva, pupa, adult. So in this case, when the spotted winged Drosophila larvae have finished feeding inside the berry, they'll get ready to pupate by dropping to the ground. If you have something on the ground, like a black weed mat, they will get toasted, thereby breaking the life cycle and reducing the population over time. All right, let's jump back in. So now what if, I mean, would you ideally have the weed mat placed at planting of your orchard? Or does it matter when you, like if, if folks already have an established orchard, can they go in and then retroactively place the weed mat down? Oh yes, okay. it has been done. This practice is very common in some, for example, cherry orchards for other reasons, not just SWD, and has been historically very, a, a important practice because what it does is uh, it's not the weed, uh, the black weed mat, but the reflective mulches, mylar, and other options, commercial brands. 
what it does is reflects more light to the fruit and what that more light on the fruit does is it gives it a good color. Fruit colors really nicely and quickly and you have a good quality fruit going into the market. So there, that is already established practice in some systems and what, what that means is that it can be implemented after you have orchard established at any time and this could be an additional benefit to the whole system. There is now an approved, by EPA, an approved parasitoid wasp that is going to be studied for its biocontrol effect on, on suppressing this population. Can you talk a little bit about this parasitoid? Yes. So, you know, just to give a little bit of background, ever since this pest was detected in California in 2008, a group of researchers started working on the what we call a classical biological control, mm. where you actually trace any invasive species back to its homeland and go there and search for the natural enemies over in that region and then bring them to the region where fly is establishing and use those as effective pastor. So that work was started, you know, several, several years ago, back in 2008-9. It took us about seven years of continuous work to get to a point where now we have gotten approved permits from USDA because there is a very strict application process, permitting process, that we have to go through. We have to show lots of data on biology of the parasitoid and biology of the pest to make sure that this parasitoid that we bring in from the native regions of SWD does not harm any species, good or bad, in our systems here in the U.S. And it took several years to go through those processes and ultimately at the end of last year we got permit to release this uh, new parasitoid. Uh, the species name is Gnespus brasiliensis. It, there were several, actually, there were several species that were tested, but one strain of this particular parasitoid was the most effective and promising and most selective of all that we got the permit for. And it's the cutest little wasp Gosh, you've ever seen. I would have never thought it was a wasp. So now our plan is uh, we just got actually a shipment from our two main quarantine labs where it had the initial work had been done before the permit. One was at University of California, Berkeley, and the other one was at USDA uh, in Delaware. So now those two labs are actually providing those uh, uh, smaller colonies uh, of the parasitoids to regional labs where we will, one of the regional labs is in Georgia in, in my lab. We will then take those in, in starting individual to start a colony and build up colony in enough numbers that we can now release at smaller scale to see how well they will actually perform in our situations in Georgia. So is this where research is headed in your lab and, and in with this group or are there any other places that you're... There are a couple of uh, other approaches that we are also doing but this is one of the most promising and most beneficial because this is using beneficial insects to overall uh, decrease the population of SWD, which will ultimately help reduce insecticide use uh, to control SWD. The other ways, the other strategies that our groups are working on is uh, one is attract and kill approach, which is basically a behavioral strategy. Our goal is to uh, use effective attractants to attract the flies away from fr fruit 
And at that point source where we attract them to, we mix attractant with a killing agent. Uh, uh, most uh, often there will be an insecticide. Once they are attracted to a point source, they will spend more time there and pick up the kill killing agent insecticide residue and they will get killed. So that is, we are actually working on multiple uh, potentially effective products that uh, will be tested in the lab and they show promise. Now we are taking them out in the field to see how they would perform in the field and then we will uh, include them in recommendations of those whichever products uh, were shown were m more effective in the field. So what I'm hearing from that method would be you would definitely be reducing the spraying of any pesticide. That is the ultimate goal of our of a project is to minimize the use of broad spectrum insecticides and increase other alternative approaches and inclu include them into the programs. So I mean, we know you. We've gotten to know you pretty good over the years, and you're 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 a brilliant scientist. So, how did this end up becoming your passion? I mean, at what point did you end up um, working in this field of research? Because I mean, I think you could do anything. You know, I grew up at a farm. Basically, I had uh, my roots, uh, and that farm, my family farm, still exists today. And I know how the farming system works, and how farmers. Uh, uh, have but how, what farmers have to go through to you know make their living. This is in Pakistan. It, that yes, I originally come from Pakistan, but we have a mixed farm, family farm, still working actually today. And uh, with, with with that background, I wanted to you know do some education. And once I was in undergrad program in agriculture, I liked to work in areas which I can help the farmers the most. And when I was undergrad student, actually at our farm where we used to grow most of the cotton, there came white fly with the cotton leaf girdle virus and it wiped our cotton industry out for mm -hmm. several years. And that is what sparked me to become an entomologist. And then, you know, I went into higher education and came to Washington State. That is where I got into fruit IPM. I worked with apples, working with the, to manage leaf rollers which were economically important pests in, in Washington state. And then I moved Washington to California to work with wine grapes, again fruits. So with my, based on my training in fruit systems, and when I was at uh, postdoc at uh, UC Berkeley, that's it, that is when this fly came in. And I thought, this is a key pest, this really economically damaging pest. I want to get some experience working with that. And then I moved to Cornell University in New York. That is where I started working on this fly, and then moved here in Georgia, and this became my 24-7 uh, job. Well, I bet your family is very proud of you back at the farm. <laughs> I think that when people buy the groceries, it seems, they don't really think about what, it go what goes into bringing this food to the market where you just walk in there and grab your blueberries and strawberries. Yes, it takes a lot of work on farmers and on researchers and and at so many levels in industry to make uh, these products to, you know, pr produce clean and nice, uh, healthy fruit that can be brought into the market. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ash. You are welcome, and thank you for having me. And for listeners that grow blueberries and are interested in this fly, check out the UGA Blueberry blog. And if you're interested in learning about this research that's happening across the nation, check out the SWD 
management.org site. And that concludes today's episode. Thanks for joining us again. We hope to catch you on the fly real soon.